Open the door and step inside to a world of practical magic, where we blend the mystical and mundane worlds of the everyday witch. Presented by Wise Woman Witchery and hosted by Emily Morrison and Veronica Wade-Lewis. Hello and welcome to The Witch Next Door. I'm Emily and we are rounding out our month of interviews with wise and witchy women uh, with my very dear friend, Andrea Savar, who is a woman of many talents and she is going to share those with us today. Hi, Andrea. Hi, Em. So glad to be here. Um, thank you for being here. I appreciate you taking the time out to have a chat. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's like a vacation. <laughs> <laughs> a little break from the, the regular scheduling, huh? Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, Andrea, can you share with our listeners a little bit about yourself and, and the many facets of the work that you do? Sure. Um, lately, I'm definitely in, like everyone else, like so many of us in pandemic parenting mode and also <laughs> figuring out um, having our small business during everything. But on better days, I'm a gallery owner and a jewelry designer, which I've been for many years, and a um, artist. I do, I paint, I illustrate, and I write books. I'm also an author. And I am just, a, I guess, a plant enthusiast and also have started teaching more about some of our plant traditions from my family. And it's all kind of grown together into one um, lifestyle slash business. <laughs> I don't know. It all melds together, I guess. <laughs> well, because if you take any one of those things, you might set it aside and go, oh, this is just this one thing. Like right. you might not feel like there's overlap, but knowing you, I know like your shop has yes. a lot of goodies and beautiful things in it, including a lot of art and, um, and locally made things. Yes. And then that sort of overlaps with your jewelry making, which is your locally made yes. <laughs> offering, plus all the other artistic endeavors that you do. Like you even have a coloring book that you did. I do two coloring books now. <laughs> Just released the second one early, well, uh, like around October, there was the mermaid wow. one that just came out. So yeah, I just am compulsively creative. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we started this podcast, you and I were talking a little bit about coffee and clearly yes. um, you must be drinking a lot of it because for all of these <laughs> creations, you must never sleep. Very little. <laughs> but... <laughs> yes, coffee, the the wonderful elixir of life. And... <laughs> Oh, maybe for everyone around me. I don't know. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's definitely fueling some of your creativity, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Making some space. So I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit maybe about sort of your creative process and how long you've been creating, like where you feel like that comes from, maybe would be a good sure. way to go. Well, I think, um, you know, to be honest, I think it was there since childhood, since coming into the world. I've just always um, been drawn to creativity in general. I think um, my mother's a very creative person. So, mm -hmm. you know, my mom's a painter. She's also an artist in many of her different ways. Um, my dad as well. He's creative in his ways with building um all different kinds of crazy projects. <laughs> so I think it was, you know, I was kind of surrounded by that creativity and it was most definitely encouraged and nurtured. So I think um, it was all kind of a natural process for me. Just kind of saw the, the layers of possibility in, in some of the mundane things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I'm Which also is, thinking about the fact that your parents kind of did things their own way, right? They, for they sure. <laughs> opened up a shop. They've traveled around and found antiquities and beautiful yes. beads and all kinds of amazing treasures around the world and then brought them back and sold them in their shop. 
Yes. And so I kind of grew one. Originally, my mom actually had um, this is when it was just me and my mom because um, Sam is my stepdad. So when I was really little and we still lived in Port Townsend, my mom had an antique store on the waterfront and um, restored furniture. She restored a lot of the Victorian houses. She oh. did. Um, yeah, she did uh, all of the stained glass window restoration. So she would restored probably half of the windows in Port Townsend. So when I was little, she would go work in the carriage house in our old Victorian house uptown. And my grandma or grandpa would come, you know, play with me when I was small. And she would be out there stripping furniture and doing all kinds of restore restoration work and then would sell it at her store. So I kind of grew up um, in that. And then my grandparents were very close with um, the garden there mm -hmm. we grew almost all of our food um my mom our house had only wood heat uh growing up so wood cook stove wood heat wow yeah <laughs> i did not realize that i mean i knew yes. you lived in like a victorian house i didn't realize you had a wood cook stove yeah it was straight victorian <laughs> we were <laughs> basically living with that you know like a hundred years hundred years in the past. And, oh my gosh. and you know, at that time, there wasn't a grocery store in town. We had a dry goods store, but there was no grocery store. So not for, we had to go to like Port Angeles if you wanted a, a Safeway or just like a regular grocery store. So there mm -hmm. were, so fresh food was, we grew it and then canned it. Uh -huh. And we um, did a lot of clamming. Uh-huh. We lived so close to the water, so clamming, oysters. Um, some of our friends, like there was a lot of trade that happened because there'd be people who would, you know, do crabbing or fishing, and then you could, you know, trade vegetables or whatnot. So, yeah, so it was, you know, it was an interesting, it was a very close to nature upbringing in the early years before we moved to the city. And do you feel like some of that really led you down your path of loving plants and being involved in their medicinal and magical purposes? Absolutely. I think that was something that happened very young and also watching how my grandparents interacted with the plants and learning from them. Mm -hmm. And later on, my grandmother learned that from her mother mm -hmm. and how that kind of went all the way back to even talking now with my cousin in Italy who lives on the family land because she took over the, the villa where my great-grandmother, it was my great-grandmother's villa and they're kind of working on restoring it and living in that area. And we talk a lot about um, some of our plant traditions and she, this past year, because every year we make our lilac protection potion. Yes. She did it in tandem with me, but in Italy. Oh, that's cool. I know. <laughs> so it was really neat just to have that. Um, yeah, we have that connection with plants, most mm -hmm. definitely. <laughs> well, I'm also aware that the setting of your book series takes place yes. in Port Townsend. So clearly this early childhood stuff really fueled <laughs> a lot of your creative process. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, those books are funny because they're I would say maybe 80% autobiography and then, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, 20% fiction because you had, I wanted to only write it as a fiction because it just gives you a lot more storytelling room. You don't have to, you know, the dates can change. It's mm -hmm. much more malleable. You can create archetypes with certain people. Although a lot of people really, I did write it true to personality. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just, there's more room, I think, to explore in that uh -huh. particular way. Um, and I wasn't necessarily ready to talk candidly about our traditions until very recently. Uh -huh. so, so fiction was good cover, you know? <laughs> so can you say a little bit about like the, your series, sure. the name of it, and, and just give sort of like a overview so people know what, what's there? So the first book is The Curious Ways of the Windships, and it's set in Port Townsend, and it explores the life of a young woman who is uh, finally living away from her hometown, 
and can kind of live a rather ordinary life, even though when she's called back home because of a family emergency, she kind of has to come to terms with um, the traditions that have been passed down in her family and how to kind of incorporate that into a modern, a modern way of living. Um, and, and family, like family lineage, family, um, family curses and all kinds of family (laughs) (laughs) uh, overlaps that happen. And I feel like that is kind of a thread that runs through most of the books. And I, I really did use a lot of our, our ways of working magic into the words and the stories. Mm-hmm. So there's three books, right, in the series? There's three right now, and I'm actually working on two in tandem right now. Oh. So, book, yes, yeah, so book four and five, I've been writing them in tandem, uh, which has been a really interesting process for sure. So it'll be, so hopefully, I might even release two at the same time, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how that works out, but it's it's been a lower, little slower process. Um, but yeah, there's two that are very much in the works. Got it. So I know that you're talking about um, family traditions, and yes. I'm wondering if you can share with us. I know that when you say that, you're also talking about your spiritual traditions, and I'm wondering yes. if you can share kind of what that path is. Sure. Um, I think you know, for us, it was always kind of considered an unnamed path is what many refer to it as, but it really goes back to a lot of, for us, Northern Italian tradition mm-hmm. um, that came over with my great grandmother um, when she immigrated from Italy uh, back in, well, in 1913. And um, while it's, it's very much a, it's not a religious path. I would really consider it more to be like folk magic is uh-huh. what we practiced for the most part. There are elements that are connected to religion, but we were never really interested in that as much. And I think that's because my grandmother was very interested in new thought, um, like Eugene Furson and uh, Steiner and some of the earlier um, precursors of, well, of new thought type of philosophy so she was she would see how a lot of hermeticism and the way that those um ideas about existence Mm -hmm. really meshed interestingly very well with a lot of the italian folk magic so the approach um especially because we believe that all everything that had matter had spirit so a rock has a spirit a plant has a spirit, Um, everything has a spirit. And so we're working with those spirits in a communion and not necessarily in a devotional sense, more as family because we're, we're all one. So that was kind of the approach and learning that, you know, as a child, I think I felt that, I think most children feel that very early on that, the tree they're playing in has a spirit. The, the rock is special because it also has a spirit. And there's a playfulness to that that I think we kind of lose sometimes if we don't nurture it. Um, thankfully, that was nurtured for me, but with a certain amount of secrecy, too. So because, what's the secrecy about? Well, I think it just wasn't necessarily very accepted. <laughs> Especially at that time, mm-hmm. um, even now, I mean, I, I find a lot of pushback sometimes even in the neo-pagan world because I'm not pagan. And the way that our tradition is, we just don't see it that way. We see it more as a unity mm-hmm. with all spirits. So we're not worshiping a rock, but we're in communion with the rock. Mm-hmm. Um, and same thing would go for what many would call the gods or the mighty dead, we would be in communion with them, but not necessarily um, devoted in the way that, I guess we would, we don't, um, we approach it as a relationship. I right. Think. Yeah. Not a worship. 
not a worship. Yes. Yeah. So it's a little different. Um, but I think that's becoming much more accepted now. I think in the 80s and 90s, I just people just didn't talk about it. So there was a certain um I think we were just quiet about our ways. And then with my, uh, a little later, my uncle was very, a very interesting person and was a writer as well. And also a tarot card reader in town and also a physicist, had a PhD in physics. And he was writing several manuscripts, um, two of which I still have, the last of which was lost. Um, and his work really talked about combining our way of seeing things, the Italian tradition, the Italian folk magic tradition with um, physics and how it worked in science and nature and how these things were in some cases quantifiable and in other cases, he was really talking about how intuition is one of our greatest gifts and how that uh, wasn't at odds with science. And it was really interesting, but he was um, killed when I was 14 and his last manuscript was lost the day that he died uh, in a car accident. He was on his way to give it to his um, publisher. And so from that point, I think we all got a little quieter uh -huh. <laughs> about things. It was- um, It felt too coincidental. It did, and it was a shock to the family. And you know, yeah. he died on his 50th birthday, which is the big one. Also in folk magic tradition, it's when you become uh, a sage, if you will, oh, or a mago. So it's, yeah, at that particular point. So um, yeah, I think we just kind of kept it to ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I also, when my mom remarried, I got very lucky on that side too, because my grandmother on that side was a very devoted um, Persian mystic. And uh -huh. I learned so much from her about that particular path. And the two were incredibly complementary. So it was also fascinating to see how probably a lot of the Persian mysticism, mysticism influenced Italian mysticism uh -huh. um, through ancient history, but even into current day, like the parallels are incredible when you look at how we approach the evil eye or um, removal of Maluk and in the Malukyo and then in the, the Persian tradition that there's a very similar process that we do for removing the evil eye. Mm -hmm. um, so I got lucky, <laughs> I got both sides, you know, were very similar in their approaches and um, it just kind of reinforced that there was a, a very special magic there. Right. And what a cool parallel to discover, you know, and to be able to tie those things together. Yes. And even with some plants, like the way that we cherish grapes, the grapevine and the grape leaves in both Italian and in Persian culture, we have like the dolma uh -huh. in Iran that we make. And my grandparents grew these incredible grapes that were from a starter that came from Greece. A friend of theirs brought it back and they cultivated it and would uh, make the dolma. Whereas on the Italian side, the grapes with wine is a huge part of their tradition. And in even parts of the family, there's this notion that many say that um, Bacchus was, you know, god of the grape or god of the grapevine, but actually yeah. in our ways, he was born of the grapes. So it was the grape spirit that gave him life. Aha. Uh -huh. So the plant, and that makes it our ancestors. So we look at plants in that way is being interwoven with our human ancestry. That's really interesting. So it's, yeah. And again, <laughs> parallel, right? Between right. cultures and how those tie together. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So interesting. <laughs> so I know a little while ago you mentioned uh, that you recently felt like you could start talking about this stuff. What shifted yes. for you? 
You know, I think it was 2020. <laughs> <laughs> it was the strangest thing. Like it was, <laughs> we were, you know, it was my, my birthday's coming up in a few yeah. days. And last year, about the same exact time, I opened up some of my manuscripts that I had from my uncle that remained, and I was looking through them. And, you know, there were questions in there that I really had very few people I could, I could ask about it because it was so specific and also had such a heavy scientific basis in there. I just didn't know, um, I just didn't know if anyone who could dig like really deep into that tradition with me. Uh-huh. Because my everyone on my mom's side, besides me and my mom, has passed away, except for my one cousin in, in Italy. Mm-hmm. And um, I just, through coincidence and serendipity, uh, happened upon um, someone who was very familiar with the particular teachings and um, my friend John Michael. And we I'm so grateful we started just really digging into it and talking about it. And he was coming to a very similar point that I was with um, feeling like there was a real need to talk about these particular traditions because there's so little out there about it. It's very, it's been really covert (laughs) for a very, very long time for many reasons. Um, And I think we both just kind of were like, yeah, now's the time and I think it was right around when the pandemic started and we were feeling I think everyone was feeling really disconnected discombobulated mm-hmm. um we didn't know how long it was going to last there was just very little and with so much upheaval especially in our country there was this call to remind I think each other and other people who were feeling that same kind of call to uh, reconnect with the earth in a different way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was just, it was just time. It was time. And everything got very quiet about that time too. It was around March mm-hmm. when we had those first lockdowns, like you could feel the world got very slow. It just, because there wasn't the normal frenetic activity of the day-to-day world. Right. I, yeah, I think it let it left a space there where that could really blossom again and have a way to kind of take root. So I think we both just said it's the time, and we created a first um, little series of classes about that time, where uh, me and four other practitioners in different. Um, with different perspectives, uh, did a course. And then we started doing a, um, every other week we did a, a little talk show where we would invite authors or people who had, you know, different, um, they're different practitioners who would come and talk about their ways. And now this year we will be teach, I'll be teaching an entire one year series on plant magic. Oh, it's a whole year. A year. <laughs> I saw the flyer for it. I didn't realize it was a whole year. That's awesome. Yes. So every month there'll be a new um, class. It'll be like maybe an hour class. And then I'm going to do supplemental materials, like my usual recipes and practical ways of incorporating it. Uh But my first one will be about um, working with plants as your ancestors and the uh-huh. first one will be grandfather olive tree and grandmother pomegranate. I love it. <laughs> Which wonderful. The olive for the Italians. I mean, olive oil, like you can't live without it. So. <laughs> and then pomegranate for the Persians, you know, it's such a big thing. So it will incorporate Persian mysticism and Italian uh, folk magic. When does that start? I'll be a couple weeks. And the cool thing is once I put them up, it'll be once a month, but you can access it anytime. And it includes all the other classes from the other teachers. Oh, okay. Yeah. So there'll be like, um, Adam Darkley will be doing, um, conjure. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, 
I know Jim Sayers, who's wonderful. He does a whole, he'll do a whole series on wellness with plants. He's an herbalist. Um, he's an amazing. And I, oh, and then um, Dominic uh, will be doing a whole series on, um, I'm not sure exactly if he's going to be doing just tarot, but I think he might be doing more about his work with ATFs. Mm -hmm. So, um, is that for ATR? <laughs> I'm sorry, African traditional religion, ATRs. And he is just such a wonderful, such a wonderful person to listen to. I love all of his podcasts. So I think it'll just be an interesting group. And um, yeah, so mostly mine though will be plants and other, also working with minerals. And are each of these uh, classes going to be offered once a month? So the whole thing is for a year? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I totally yeah. misunderstood the flyer and now I'm like, in yeah, because that sounds amazing. Well, and it's actually uh, on a new social um, media network. So it's actually, we have like created our own platform. That's like a Facebook kind of a platform. So people can comment, you can have your own page. And at the same time, you follow all the instructors pages that you want to take their classes, but it's a one price for the whole thing. Love it. So it'll be really neat. So I'm kind so of we, planning. You'll need to give me that information so that I can I will. include it here in the description. So folks, if you're listening and you're interested, you can find the link in the description. <laughs> yes, it'll be really great. And of course, John Michael will be teaching about um, Stregoneria, which is the Italian witchcraft. Uh-huh. So am I catching here that you're the only female in all of these teachers? For now, but in, um, I think, six months, we should have a couple others joining. Okay. It was just a timing issue. So I'm I'm hoping, but we aren't totally sure, we may have someone coming on board who will teach um, Slavic traditions. Oh. Yes. And possibly another um, who will teach uh, African traditions from the Canary Islands. Okay. So there's a really interesting group of people that I, they're coming from kind of all over the world. And I'm hoping also uh, another friend of ours um, from England will come on to teach as well, hopefully. So I don't want to call them out because I'm not sure yet if they're coming. <laughs> so it'll be a neat group and something a little different than um, because so many of our traditions have been more underground, I think, for mm -hmm. a long time. Well, I know as I've been watching you move move out into the world more and <laughs> yeah. embrace this more publicly, what I've really been struck by is the diversity of the different people that you've been coming in contact with and teaching with. And just, I, I love that because yeah. I think we can learn so much from different traditions and different perspectives. And we also get to learn so much about the origins of things. Exactly. And I think there's so... Um, there's so many people who are incredibly powerful and very rooted and just know their traditions inside and out. But part of it has been they really haven't had much of a platform to share mm -hmm. a lot of that information or it's been primarily oral tradition or held within a family like ours where it's really passed down through a bloodline. Right. And that's honestly it wasn't because you had to be of a certain bloodline. It was more, uh, I think it was just more the safety of sharing it within family. Yeah, sure. You know? well, there's a sacredness in passing things down. There's, you know, it creates this heirloom quality to the folklore of yes. a tradition. Exactly. And, you know, it's been, um, it's been interesting too, because this past year also, uh, John Michael did a course, a 26 week course on Stregoneria, which is the Italian witchcraft. And there were about 35 students, I think, who joined in the beginning. Um, most of them had some type of Italian heritage. And it was really amazing with each module, how you would see them go, oh my God, my grandmother did that. Or, you know, <laughs> everything kind of fell into place when they're like, that's what she meant when she would get out the scissors and the olive oil and the water and the salt. And, you know, it was really just kind of great seeing how yeah. all these realizations happen. 
And then there were people who were not Italian, but were in the class and they're like, this just resonates with me. This feels like home. So it really more has to do, I think, with finding where you feel like you're home. Yes, I think that's really true. And that can be anywhere, (laughs) really. Well, right. I mean, in the work that I do and in the teaching that I do, I'm always telling people to take what works and leave what doesn't. Yes. To create a practice that feels like you. Exactly. Because that's where the, that's where the power is. That's where the energy is. That's when you're going to really make magic. That's when you're in the flow is when you're really in yourself and there's nothing that can replace that. There's no tool that will replace you. (laughs) Right. And um, yeah, and for us, you know, I think the other aspect of, of this particular work right now, especially when it comes to working with plants in a way where we approach them as we would approach a family member, mm-hmm. that creates a certain type of respect and um sacred care that comes with it I think when some people you know we look at plants as oh well that's just a tree or that's just something to eat it's not you know it's something that's going to serve us Uh whereas we're in a time where we really need to be thinking about being stewards again of the earth and I think when we when we approach plants in that particular way um there's a sanctity to it that it becomes wrapped into everything that we do in our way of life. It becomes more of a communion and less of a one-way street. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, and I, I love that you're saying that, that we're coming to a time when we need to be stewards. I mean, my bias is that we've always needed to be stewards and somehow, Absolutely. <laughs> somehow we fell off the path. We as a, you know, yeah. a human culture, um, but we're, we're now where it's dire. Oh, it's and... now. Yeah. And we, if you think about it through history, I don't think it's been really all that long that we lost this idea of stewardship. I think it's been maybe, I don't know, 150 years, maybe I think, or even maybe less before that we, so many people were very much in communion with their earth and their land because that was their survival um good point so i i don't know like if i i look at my grandparents for example and because of how we lived in port townsend there very much was that idea of stewardship Mm -hmm. but then maybe my mom's generation where we moved to the city that had a very different feel to it it was definitely a, a shift in and how the land was approached, even though she still approaches it very much in the way of stewardship. Now that they have, my parents have a small hobby farm, a flower and herb farm. Um, So we'll be using a lot of those plants in our apothecary work. Well, we already do. (laughs) uh, It just, they restored the wetlands on their land, um, which was a huge project in stewardship as well. And I think we can do that in very small ways. It doesn't have to be huge ways that feel overwhelming. We start with little baby steps and it just kind of grows from there. And sometimes that baby step is just remembering what your favorite tree was when you were a child and how it made you feel. Mm-hmm. And then the next step is getting outside and finding that tree. Absolutely. Finding that tree, finding a new tree that speaks to you now, finding yes. Um, a little corner where you can make the world a little bit better mm-hmm. and healthier. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so that's very much been the focus this past year. And, you know, you're talking about this, but this whole path and how you came back to being able to share or how you came to being able to share that with, with the world. And, and clearly you're doing that in a very public way. Um, and I, I wonder how, because you've carried this with you for so long, much before this last year, how does your spiritual path and these, you know, these workings that you do and you believe, how do those things inform the other work that you do? 
oh, it's all it's all woven together. I mean, it always has been. So mm-hmm. for me, it's never really been separate. It's always been one. Um, it's been an interweaving of all of these different practices and energies. When I when I cook something, before I start cooking, I kind of bless the space. I look at what utensils I'm going to use. I definitely meditate on what my ingredients are going to be because all of those create a harmony. Mm-hmm. You know, I stir a certain direction when I want to do something. I want everything has a sacred possibility. Mm-hmm. Everything. So I peel a potato if I'm feeling like, you know, I'm feeling ungrounded. And so today I'm going to make something for the family that has root vegetables because that's something that's grounding. Right. It's very, I mean, it can be something as simple as that, or it can be bigger workings. There was one that, you know, I started back in the summer. I just knew that with everything that was coming, uh, kind of in the world in general, that there were going to be certain plants that were going to be really good allies in that. And that was fennel was one of the ones that I planted because there's so much knowledge in that particular plant. And there's this way of containing fire in that plant and revealing truth in that plant. Mm-hmm. And all of those things were really beneficial while I was working with different intentions. And so everything kind of folds itself into that process. And what about things like making jewelry? Oh, well, yeah, for sure. <laughs> now that one has always been kind of funny because it that one's almost effortless now because mm-hmm. I've been doing it for so long. But every stone that I use, every piece of metal that I use, every vintage element that I use all has meaning and it all has a certain energy to it. So when I make something and it goes out into the world, I find that the people who get specific pieces, they're drawn to it, I think, because it's what they need at that time. And it becomes like an amulet or a talisman. It's kind of an anchor of energy for them to have with them. So all of that is created into the piece and then released as it goes to the new home. So it's almost like everything that you do is infused with some type of magic. I, I think so. And I think that's true for, I actually think that's true for everyone. I just think sometimes we're not as conscious of it, but I believe everyone has the capacity to weed that magic into everything. I think it's, it's all waiting around us. And we can either do that with intention and move energy the way to places we want consciously, mm-hmm. or we subconsciously do it. And sometimes that can have um, manifestations and aren't always the best. But I was going to say repercussions. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe even that in itself is another way of realizing where you need to shift focus. So mm-hmm. I think everything is a magical act. I would agree with that. I mean, I definitely, (laughs) I I know that we have a little bit different um, backgrounds or very different backgrounds in, in our spiritual practices, but there's a lot of overlap too. Definitely. And, and I completely agree and, and support people in making everyday magic out of things you might think as mundane, like you were saying, peeling a potato, but it's actually not, it's It's not connection. you know, with the earth, it's nourishing, it's grounding. Um, it's all of those things. And if you're thinking about those and connecting to that energy, as you're doing that act, you're infusing that into your food that you're then putting in your body. Yes, exactly. And that you're sharing with the people around you. So they're also benefiting from that act of love. And, you know, my grandmother always would say when she was making food, this is my Persian grandmother, um, that, this was her way of giving love to her family. And this was her way of um, pouring that blessing on them Mm -hmm. in their body. And there, I mean, there were other things that we would do as well. Like, for example, if, if it was time for one of us to go on a trip, there was, you know, a very specific thing. We were not supposed to leave until we went to see her. (laughs) 
<laughs> so like literally we would go to Ashi's house on the way to the airport and <laughs> there was no getting around that. And we would just come quickly up to the door and she would have a bowl of water with rose petals and rose water poured in it. And um, a book, she had two books she used. One was her mother's Quran, mm -hmm. which was a family heirloom. And then the other, which was very dear to her, was a book of Rumi poems. And um, there's this very simple tradition where you kiss the Quran or the book of poems um, three times as she would put it around your head clockwise. Uh -huh. And then as you leave, and she would say a prayer at the same time. And then as you would leave, she would throw the water and rose petals behind you. So it would wash away any obstacles and make sure that you arrived safely. So they're very, and, and there's a whole history behind why, if you look at some of those elements and some of those flowers and what they represented um, in ancient tradition. Mm -hmm. So it might seem like a simple, almost superstitious act, but actually, it had a lot more magic to it that was kind of interesting in the way that we work with elementals and the way that we work with um, those water spirits. And so that was part of that. And then the rose, which is a big one for Persian culture, rose water, rose, the plant. Um, it's, it's a very protective plant because of its thorns. And it's a very, sweet smelling plant which is supposed to uh, cast away any negative gin that might be around you so especially with the water because gin are fires so there's this whole combining of um, the way that we will break down some of those elements in order to create a very seemingly mundane act <laughs> It actually had quite a bit of protective power. So it's it's just an interesting, um, yeah, looking at it, some of the things that we did. And we did these without really um, sharing too much of it, I, like I said before. Like it was just, this is what we did. And uh -huh. it's what you <laughs> and do. It's tradition. It's, it's just what you do. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. yeah. Wow. I love that. I, and I love the idea that there's these simple acts that have so many roots that go back to another time and are tied into these deeper meanings that, you know, I, I really believe that many superstitions or, or what might be called superstitions yes. uh, really are tied to these deeper meanings. I agree. And I think for, I think for me too, over the years, that's been such a big part of the process of um, learning and becoming, you know, who I am now has been kind of peeling back the layers of all of those traditions. And as I've gotten older, the things that I just would have done at, you know, age seven or eight, because that's what everyone else in the family was doing. Um, now I look at it and I want to know, well, why? Why did we do that? And, and so, you know, probably from about age 20 on, it was a lot of that questioning and, and searching of what does this connect to? What does this mean? Mm -hmm. How do these things um, kind of layer over the years and through the different cultures? Um, how do these things connect? And as I've gotten older now, I'm in my 40s and I'm definitely seeing it in the ways that I'm teaching my daughter how you know she's very little right now but she already kind of she already knows <laughs> so much and just intuitively of but I think of it now the way that I do specific things as I show her how to do them from a child's perspective how she might later interpret those things on her own as she gets older mm -hmm. yeah she's gonna grow up well she I know she already has a ton of magic oh my god <laughs> And already <laughs> seeing beyond the veil. Yes, for sure. <laughs> what veil? All right. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah. And and that was also one too, you know, as a child, because I did experience other beings and other spirits and whatnot as a little girl, that was something that was also 
um, I could talk about that with my family mm-hmm. and it, and it wasn't taboo. Right. They would just kind of help me understand what was happening. And then it became a lot easier to maneuver. Whereas, you know, I've seen a lot of people who have to come back to that as adults because it was just completely squashed when they were, when they were small and, and, um, you know, they had to go through that process of, of re of accepting themselves again and, and what they were experiencing. Mm-hmm. So I think that was also one of the elements of having two sides of the family that were very intuitive and had their own traditions that was very supportive. Yeah. Um, you know, even though we were quiet about it, I, I always had someone to tell when I'm like, um, <laughs> something's not right or something just followed us home or something is, you know, keeping me awake. What do we do? You know, right. you were never shamed for it or dis- no. you know, disregarded. It was always taken seriously. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And I was given tools to make it better. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I wasn't just left there to be afraid of something that really didn't need to necessarily invoke fear. Right. <laughs> you know, whereas a lot of people, you know, live with great fear about the unknown and about um, maybe phenomenal experiences that are happening around them when it's nothing we should really be afraid of, I think. Right. But when you don't have the information or, and you don't have people to talk to about it, it is really scary. It is absolutely. And I think, especially if you have, you know, family members who are telling you it's, um, you know, these are these horrible things from hell or there's, you know, this, that's all that stuff. Like heavy. (laughs) Maybe, you know, it is what it is, but there are other ways I think that can help people. So I think that was also one of the things I wanted to do by opening up was just to let people know there's nothing evil or scary or, you know, inherently bad about, um, listening to your intuition and listening to the world around you and listening to the earth and the plants and seeing them as beings that have every much a right to be here as we do. And, um, that we're in a shared space. I love that. So that's kind of like a beautiful end cap to this. I know, right? <laughs> it's really, that's the ultimate message. In all yes. Okay. Well, thank you, Em. You're welcome, Andrea. Hey, if people want to find you, how do they do it? Um, they can find me. My website is uh, www.andreasavar.com. Mm-hmm. They can email me there or they can find me on Facebook. Uh, it's just Andrea Savar. They can look me up. They can follow me um, on there. Or um, I also have the Curious Nest is my shop. It's my boutique. And we also have our email there too. Um, that's probably the easiest. I think uh, email or message me. I'm also on Instagram. It's just Andrea Savar on Instagram. So it's pretty easy to find me <laughs> and I can send you the links too. Right. And then how, what about this class? Is yes. There... Okay. So the inner alchemy collective, that's what it's, yes, inner, it's alchemy. inner alchemy collective. And it is a platform that is very much like a social media platform, but it is specific to the mystical arts um, and there are at this time five of us instructors, so you will have access to five courses every month, um, and then lots of supplemental materials, and then other students who are there too, who are using it like a platform where you would share ideas, questions, everything. Um, and it's, I think it's at this point like $49 a month, but you get all of that access to that. That sounds awesome. I know. It's really, I'm so excited about it. So far we have about, um, well, all the students that were in the Italian class and then um, in the Stregonovia class that John Michael taught, and then other people are coming in from just so many different traditions. It's very, um, very (laughs) well-rounded. Great. So if you guys are interested in checking that out, definitely look up Inner Alchemy Collective. 
and it's going to grow. It's, you know, we just launched it a few weeks ago, soft launch, uh-huh. <laughs> but it's definitely already growing pretty quickly. And I'm just excited because the people there are all so cool and, you know, the students are so cool and it's just a really great community. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, I'll make sure to put that also in the, in this description of this podcast. So thank you. And And then I hope to come back and teach on one of yours too, because that was so fun. (laughs) Oh, I'll be doing more. So good. Andrea did a, um, a magic and minerals class for one of my work, my workshops, one of my conferences last year. And so this year in 2021, I'll be doing more conferences and I'm sure you'll hear about them here. Or if you're following me on social media at wise woman witchery, you'll definitely hear about them there. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much, Andrea. Um, thank you. And thanks everyone for listening. <laughs> Take care. Bye. Hun. Thanks for tuning in to The Witch Next Door. You can help others find us by subscribing to and rating this podcast. If you're interested in supporting this work, you can do so through the Anchor Support link in our description. And if you're ready to dive a little deeper, hop on over to wisewomanwitchery.com and check out the Wise Woman Witchery Diving Deeper monthly membership group. The details and sign-up link are available there. And remember, you are magic. Embrace it. Thank you for joining us on The Witch Next Door. Join us next week as we explore more ways to make every day more magical. Can't wait? Visit wisewomanwitchery.com or follow Wise Woman Witchery on Facebook and Instagram to stay up to date on all current offerings and be a part of the tribe. All episodes are created by Emily Morrison and Veronica Wade Lewis. Music written and performed by Jean Cornelius.